You are listening to the Landmark Sermon Series, a sermon podcast nearly 40 years in the making. You'll hear the voices of our church's founding pastors, Dr. James Reeves and Alan McBrayer, as well as others who helped pave the way for City on a Hill beginning all the way back in the early 1980s. Our hope is that these sermons bless you and challenge you in the same way they have blessed and challenged so many others in the past. For more information about our church, visit www.cityonahilldfw.com. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. What a friend we have in Jesus. Folks, I just love music so much. Um, I just can't, can't get enough of it. It gets enough of me, <laughs> but I can't get enough of it. That's why I just know that God has someone very special set aside for this place. Someone very special to lead us in worship to lead us as a choir, to lead this choir to grow not only in numbers but in quality as well, and to lead us in worship uh, that we might, what we do here on Sunday morning and Sunday night might really and truly add up to the sum total of worshiping the name of the living God. That's what it's all about. That's what we're all about here. And so you pray for us. This next Sunday we may have someone visiting with us, someone coming just for the, the day to lead us, Uh, Not if you have a call or anything like that, just someone to come in and and fill in and direct the choir and lead us in worship. And so you pray uh, this week that that's the Lord's will, that he'll put it all together. This morning, I want to go back and do a little backtracking. We finished the second chapter of Ephesians last Sunday. I preached from verse 11 through the end of the, uh, the chapter there. And I told you that I was going to come back and pick up a very important verse, verse 18, this week, and we would camp there and would spend our time this Sunday just in verse 18, one verse of Scripture this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. I want to preach to you this morning along the lines of being introduced to the king, being introduced to the king, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father, one very... Simple yet not so simple verse of Scripture that is packed full of some tremendous spiritual truth. You know, not long ago I I watched on television a documentary that was one of the most thrilling and exciting stories to me, I guess, that I'd seen on television in a good long while. It was, for some reason or other, I don't don't remember exactly why, but for some reason or another, a group had to take an expedition to the South Pole. You You know, our Earth is frozen on the north and the south ends, and they were going to the South Pole in order to to move the pole. For some reason or another, or something had happened, our earth has gotten off a little bit of tilt or something, and the place where they had it placed at one time is no longer correct, and it's no longer exactly the right place. And so an expedition went there to measure it out and to move that pole and put it in exactly the right place in order that it, it straight up and down noon, there would be no shadow on that pole. Well, they began at the very bottom and, and were all decked out for all of their, uh, their mountain climbing and, and all of that kind of stuff. And it's just as I watched it, I just kind of got caught up in what they were doing. I got caught up in the, in the movement there and the danger and, and, and the, the sense of achievement that they were striving for to reach that place, to reach that apex, and to place that pole in exactly the right place. They had finally reached the top. And we kind of come to that same sense of accomplishment, or I did this week as I studied this passage of Scripture and came to this place in, in verse 18. Because in Paul's trek through the book of Ephesians, and particularly through the second chapter, 
we kind of reach the apex today in verse 18. It's kind of the, the very high point, if you will, of what he's been saying throughout the second chapter of Ephesians. Now, throughout this second chapter, he's been talking about salvation. He's been talking about the plan of salvation, and he's kind of been repeating himself in different contexts to drive the point home about what we were before we met Jesus, what we have in Jesus, and what we are since we have come to know Jesus Christ. He said before we met Jesus, we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Not only that, we were deceived into thinking that we had freedom, and not only that, but we were depraved in our very nature. We were outsiders, he said. We, we said last week, we were strangers to the covenants and the promises of God. We were without a home, and we were without God in the world. A bleak, bleak picture. But then twice in this chapter, Paul comes back and says, but God. In verse 3, he says, but God. And then in verse 13, he says, but now. And both of those times, Paul is referring to the fact that God has done something special in history. God has entered into human history both times. Paul says God has reconciled us unto himself. He has done something special. He's, coming into, he's come into human history. He's broken down the barrier and he has opened the way for us to come into the presence of God. And it's as if Paul has been climbing a mountain. It's as if we've been kind of climbing along the mountain with him. And when we come to verse 18, we finally come to the apex of it all. We come to the purpose of salvation. We come to the purpose of everything that he has said thus far in chapter 2. It is in order that we might have access to the Father. You see, that's the purpose of salvation, that we might be able to know him intimately, that we might be able to have personal relationship with the living God. And so verse 18 just kind of caps it all off, and he tells us how it all happens. He tells us how it all took place. Now I want you to look and notice something important at the very beginning in verse 18. Notice how the Trinity is brought into play in verse 18. I'm not going to preach on the Trinity today, but I just want you to notice that. Notice how the three persons of the Trinity are involved in this thing. It says that it is through him, Jesus Christ, it is in the Spirit, and it is to the Father that we have our access. In other words, all three, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three are engaged in this process of bringing us into this position that we might enjoy all that God has to give us in order that we might know him, that we might have access to the Father. Now, this verse of Scripture hinges around three prepositions, and we're going to be talking about these prepositions in the original language as we study through it. Three prepositions, this passage hinges around them. I want us to do this this morning in a very simple outline, as most of my outlines are. Very simple. First of all, I want you to notice the person of our access. The person of our access. To whom do we have access? In other words, verse 18, the very end of the verse, Paul says, through him, Jesus, we have our access in one spirit. And then he says, to the Father. The Father, then, is the person of our access. He is the goal of the access that we have in Jesus Christ. He is the Father. In other words, all that Jesus, all that the Son, all that the Spirit of God have done, have been done for one purpose, that is to give us access into the very presence of the living God of the universe. Now, that's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. He says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. Why? In order that he might bring us to God. God is the Father, is the person of our access. 
And so all of this has been done in order that we might know the Father. He is the person of our access. The goal of our salvation, in other words, is that we might come into the presence of the living God. Now I want you to notice here, and I said we were going to be talking about these prepositions. I want you to notice what he says, the word just before Father. In one spirit, we have our access to the Father. There's our first preposition. That word to in the original language, means literally before. We have our access before the Father, or an even more literal rendering of that preposition would mean face-to-face. It's a preposition that means face-to-face, before. It's a word of extreme intimacy, in other words, that we might be face-to-face with the Father. Through Him, through Jesus, we have access in one spirit in order that we might be face-to-face with the Father. Now, That is the same preposition that is used in John 1.1, that famous passage, speaking of the Lord Jesus in his pre-incarnate form. It says, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, the word with there in the original language is the exact same preposition that is translated to in verse 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was face to face with God. That is the goal of our salvation, that we might have access, that we might be brought to the Father, that we might be brought in a face-to-face relationship with the Father. I like to say it like this, that we might be brought eyeball-to-eyeball with God. (laughs) And if that's irreverent, uh, excuse me, but that's the thing I thought of, that we might be face-to-face, that we might be brought eyeball-to-eyeball in a close, personal, intimate relationship with the Father. Now, that's been man's heart cry ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden, hasn't it? It's always been the heart of man to come into that kind of close, personal, intimate relationship with the Father. I remember in the Old Testament when the patriarch Moses spoke to God on the mountain there and he said, God, just let me see your face. And you remember the Lord's reply to him, uh, Moses, you couldn't see my face and live. And Moses didn't get to see the face of God. The scripture says he only saw the backside of God, the glory of God as he passed by in in a much, much less than its fullest extent. The disciples, when they were talking with Jesus, they said, well, well, Jesus, just show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus, just let us see the Father. Let us be face-to-face with the Father, and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long, and you still don't understand? If you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. You have been face-to-face, in other words, with the Father. It's always been man's heart cry to be in that close, personal, intimate relationship with the Father with whom we have access But you see, what Moses desired, what the disciples desired, can only be accomplished in and through Jesus Christ. The person of our access is God the Father. That is the goal. That is the apex. That's the high point of salvation. Not only that we get fire insurance, but that we come into that eyeball-to-eyeball, face-to-face kind of relationship with the Father. You know, it's interesting to me that in verse 18, Paul changes his terminology just very quickly. No warning. He just does it very quickly. Throughout the second chapter, as he has referred to the Creator, as he has referred to God, that's how he's referred to him. He just said God. Throughout the second chapter, time and time again, you've seen the reference God, 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 God. You come to verse 18, though, where he begins to talk about the access that we have to him, and what does he call him? He calls him the Father, the Father. That intimate term of relationship as the child to the parent, it is that intimate term of relationship that we have an access with the Father. You see... It's one thing to have access to a king. It's another thing to have access to a king who's your father. 
We have been brought into that face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, personal, intimate kind of relationship with the Father. He is the person of our access. That is the goal of our salvation. Now then, let's take a moment and look at the process. How does this take place? If, if the goal of salvation is not just fire insurance, <laughs> if it's not just uh, you know, the afterlife, if, if there's something far here and now, and that is that I might be brought into that intimate relationship with God the Father, uh, the Creator Himself, if that is the, the, the goal of it, then how does it happen? What is the process? What provided the way that I might come into that personal relationship? Well, that's what Paul says in the very first part of the 18th verse. He says that we have access to the Father through Him. Now, he's referring to Jesus Christ. Now, let me kind of wrap it up here and and put it all in a a little package where you can understand. Paul says we have access to the Father, face-to-face with the Father. The goal of our access is the Father. But we have that access through Him, through Jesus Christ. Our access to the Father, then, can only come in and through Jesus. I've had people ask this question before, and maybe you have asked it yourself before. Do the lost... Do those who do not know Jesus as Savior and as Lord, do they have access to God? Do they have access to the Father? Does God hear the prayer, in other words, of a lost man? The scriptural answer to that is no. The scriptural answer is that no one has access to the Father apart from Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I believe the only prayer that God hears of the lost man is the prayer of salvation, the prayer of faith, that is committing himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a relationship in a sense to God. There is the relationship of creator and sustainer to created. We all have that relationship in or or without, with or without Jesus Christ. There is that relationship of, of the creation to the creator and the sustainer. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. I mean, he waters the crop of the lost man just like he waters the crop of the saved man. And so in one sense, there is that relationship of created to the creator. But access is only had in and through Jesus Christ. That face-to-face relationship, that eyeball-to-eyeball personal relationship with God the Father is only had in and through Jesus. Jesus himself said it. I had a guy get mad at me one time for saying that, by the way. Uh, got up and stomped out of a Wednesday night prayer meeting. A uh, member of the church, as a matter of fact, member of my church in Florida. I'd only been there about two months, and I was just preaching just hard as I could, you know, that nobody can come to the Father except through Jesus. No Jew, no Gentile, nobody. Nobody has access to God but the, but the, but the one who comes in personal relationship to Jesus. And after it was over, this guy came up to me, and his, boy, his neck was all red, and his face was red, and blood vessels were standing out. And boy, he just got really ticked off at me and walked out and never came back in again. But I just had to say to him, I don't have anything against them. I just pray that God will save them. I pray they'll come to Jesus in saving faith. But the scripture says that we only have access to God through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, Jesus said. And so it's by the cross of Jesus. It is through him that we have access. Now, verses 12 through 16 of that second chapter Paul has repeatedly talked about that. Three times, as a matter of fact, in those verses, Paul mentions the death of Jesus. In verse 13, he says, We are brought near by the blood of Christ, brought near to the Father. 
Verse 15, he speaks about the, the flesh of the Lord Jesus being broken in our behalf. In verse 16, he talks about the cross of Jesus having wiped out the curse that was against us. It is through him, it is by the blood of Jesus, by his cross, that we have that provision of access to the Father. The person of our access is God the Father, that we might be brought face to face, eyeball to eyeball, personal relationship. The process is through the Son, through Jesus, by his cross. Now let me give you two things that happened on the cross that opened the way and provided the way for us to come into that face-to-face relationship with the Father. First of all, when Jesus died, and the reason that we are able to have that access through him is because when Jesus died, he removed the barrier between me and God. When he died on the cross, he removed the barrier between me and the Father. Now let's go back a little bit. When mankind was originally created, he was created in perfection. The opening verses of the Bible tell us that. The opening chapters that when God created his creation, that it was in perfection. There was no sin. And not only was there perfection within man, but there was perfect fellowship. There was perfect relationship between the creator and the created Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman. They walked in perfect fellowship. And one of the most beautiful pictures, images that you'll ever be able to paint is as you read those opening verses of the Garden of Eden and how they walked in that place that had been provided by the Father and how they walked in that personal face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball kind of perfect relationship with the Father. But then something happened, the Scripture says. Man rebelled. Man chose to go his own way, to turn his back upon the Father. And when man did that, the Scripture says that that fellowship was broken. That close personal relationship was done away with. Immediately there was a wall that was thrown up between man and between God. You see, God is holy. God is perfect. God is without sin. Therefore, he cannot have communion with sin. And so when man sinned, when man rebelled, then there was that wall of separation that was thrown up between man and God. And you see, the rest of the Old Testament leading up to the cross of Jesus is the story of man seeking fellowship with the Father. The whole story of the Old Testament is mankind seeking to have that close, personal, intimate, face-to-face relationship with the Father. God gave various means by which man might be able to come into a partial fellowship with him through the sacrificial system. It never did completely work. Through the law, through the keeping of law, God provided those ways, but never was it complete. Never was man able to come into that close, personal relationship to regain that, that fellowship that was had before sin entered into the world. And so leading up to the cross of Christ, everything is said of man striving to to renew that fellowship and that relationship. You see, that separation or that wall, if you will, is even seen in the temple construction in the Old Testament. You remember the Old Testament temple? It was where the, uh, the place of worship for the Jews in Jerusalem, the chosen people of God, and it was the place where the very presence of the living God was to dwell in the very inner sanctuary, in the Ark of the Covenant, in the very Holy of Holies. It was to be the very dwelling place of God among his people. But we talked about it last week, the way that that temple was constructed. The outer court was the court of the Gentiles. That's as far as they could go. They couldn't go any further into the center of the place of worship. The next court was the court of the women. They were a little bit better off and they could get a little bit further in than the Gentiles, the dogs. (laughs) The next court was the third court. It was the court of the Jews. 
and then the fourth court was the court of the priest. And then finally, in the very inner place, the very inner sanctuary of sanctuaries, the very holy place, the holy of holies, was where the Ark of the Covenant was, was, was kept, where the very presence of the living God stayed with his people. That little place, the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, was separated from the rest of the temple by a thick curtain, a thick cloth curtain that some scholars say might, might have been as much as three or four inches thick. It was there to keep anyone from ever being able to gaze into the holy place, keeping them from being able to gaze into the, the place where the very presence of God dwelt. As a matter of fact, only one person was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, the high priest. One day a year, one man, one day a year was allowed to go into the very presence of the living God. It was the high priest on the Day of Atonement to offer sacrifice for the sins of the people. But you see, the common man had no access to God. The common man could not come into the presence of God. He had no access, no communion with the Father. But you know what the gospel writers say? The gospel writers say that at that very instant, at that exact second, when Jesus, our great high priest, the final and the complete sacrifice, died on the cross of Calvary, you know what the three synoptic gospels say? They say that that curtain that separated the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, from the rest of the temple was split from the top to the bottom, symbolizing that the way had been opened to access into the presence of the living God. It is only in and through Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus died, the reason our access is through him is because he removed the barrier. He removed the barrier into the inner place, the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctuary, in order that the people of God might come into the presence of the Father. So we have our access through him because the barrier has been removed in the cross of Christ. But not only did he remove the barrier, but he reconciled us to God. He reconciled us to God. Verse 16 talks about that. Paul says he might reconcile them both, speaking of the Jews and the Gentiles, that he reconciled both the Jews and the Gentiles, everyone, to God. He reconciled us to the Father. Now, the word reconciliation or reconciled means to bring enemies together. It means to bring two parties that are estranged that have not been in relationship before, to bring them back together. Something had happened has caused them to separate in fellowship, and so to be reconciled means to bring them back together. We often use that term when we speak of husband and wife who have had a falling out, and maybe the wife is, has moved out or the husband has been or moved out, but through a miracle of God that they have been reconciled, they have been brought back together, that fellowship has been renewed and has been restored. And so the scripture says not only did Jesus break the barrier down, not only did he remove the barrier, but he reconciled us to God. Now I want you to notice something that's important. Never, never does the scripture say that God was reconciled to man. Never once will you find that in the word of God, that God was reconciled to man. Why? Because God's not the one that went away. He didn't need to be reconciled to man. God never stopped loving mankind. It was man that rebelled. It was man that went away. It was man that needed to be reconciled to the Father. Someone said it this way. If God seems far off, guess who moved? <laughs> you know? If God seems far away from you, guess who moved? It wasn't him. It was you. And it's only in Jesus Christ through his cross with a barrier being broken down that we are reconciled to the Father, that we are brought back 
into relationship with God. Why is that? Because in Jesus, God and man met. Jesus was perfect God. He was perfect man. I don't understand that, but the scripture says it, so I'll just accept it. He was all God. He was not in one with less God than God the Father, yet he was all man. He was not one less man than you or I. In Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man, God and man were brought together, were introduced again. And when Jesus died on the cross, that barrier was broken down between man and God, and man was reconciled once again to the Father. Now, there's an important word in verse 18 that I purposely held off introducing to you that really kind of ties this whole thing together, what we have in Jesus. The person of our access is the Father. That's the goal of salvation, that we might come face-to-face with the Father, eyeball to eyeball. The process is through Jesus. He broke the barrier down, he removed the barrier, and he reconciled us to God. Now, there's a word in verse 18 that you need to see. It says, through him we both have our access. There's that word, access. Has someone got the King James? Who's got the King James? Kathy, what does the King James say? I forgot to look it up. Does it say access? Okay, it's not any different. Well, let me tell you what that word, a literal translation of that word and the background of that word. It's interesting and it's exciting and it's beautiful of what God has done in Jesus Christ. It says, we have our access through him, through Jesus Christ. In the original language, that's a very special word and it literally means our introduction or it speaks of an introducer. Someone who introduces someone to someone else. It is through him that we have our introduction to the Father, that we have our introducer to the Father. The imagery that is used there in that word, in the background of that word, would be in the ancient court of the ancient kings. And the kings would always have in their employ an introducer. Someone, when someone came to come into the presence of the king, someone came to visit with the king, this introducer would introduce them to the king. And no one could come into the presence of the king unless they had, first of all, gone through this introducer and he would introduce them to the king. King, this is so-and-so that has come to visit with you. And he would have access, he would have his introduction through that one who was the introducer. Now, not only did Jesus break down the wall, Not only did he remove the barrier between us and Father, but the Scripture says we have our access through him. He takes us by the hand and introduces us to the Father. He takes us by the very hand and introduces us into the presence of the Father. Do you know what happens when someone gets saved? When someone gets saved, this is exactly what takes place. Jesus takes them by the hand and ushers them into the presence of God the Father and says, Father, this is James. He trusted me today. Let me introduce him to you. In Jesus Christ, we have our introduction to the Father. He introduces us to God the Father, brings us into that face-to-face relationship. He is our introducer. See, I believe that's what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 10 when he said, if you confess me before men, then I will also confess you before my Father who is in heaven. And if you do not confess me before men, then I will not confess you before my Father who is in heaven. I will not introduce you to the Father. I will not give you access into the presence of God. Jesus is our introducer. And so that means that as I confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, as I confess him as my master, invite him to come into my life, that very instant, that very moment, Jesus comes before the Father and says, Father, this is James. Let me introduce you. He trusted me this moment. 
Not only do I have that one-time access, though, not only does Jesus introduce me and bring me into the presence of the Father that one time, that instant when I trust Him as Savior and as Lord, but it is a continuing process that I have access to the Father. You see, that's why I'm not lost the first time I sin <laughs> after trusting Jesus. Wouldn't that be terrible? Wouldn't that be terrible if, if, it, if it was ever a moment, well, gosh, I just had a lousy thought, I must be lost now, you know? And then next minute later, you say, well, I better get saved again. You know, you're lost one day, saved the next, lost one day. That's kind of schizophrenic, isn't it? It's ridiculous. It's foolish. The Scripture says that when you're saved, you're sealed with the Spirit of God. It's eternal. It never passes away. Jesus said, no one will snatch them out of my hand. I have my introduction to the Father not only one time, but for eternity. It's a continuing process that Jesus introduces me to the Father. John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, if anyone sins... That's going to be any of us because he says anyone that says he has no sin is a liar. Truth's not in him. So John says, he's speaking to Christians, if anyone sins, we have an advocate. That word means lawyer. We have an advocate to the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is my advocate. He's my lawyer. Man, when you go to court, you want to have a lawyer, don't you? You want to have a good one. You want to have the best one you can possibly get. You'd like to have somebody that knew the judge pretty good too, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, you really would. Well, the Scripture says that in Jesus I have my advocate. It is that day-by-day -day process of introducing me into the presence of the living God. He brings me before the Father. He ever lives, the Scripture says, to make intercession on my behalf. He is my advocate. He introduces me. He takes me by the hand and introduces me to the Father. And when I sin, Jesus says, Father, that sin is covered by my blood because he's mine. He belongs to me. He's trusted me. And so I ever have this continuing introduction to the Father, that continuing face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball relationship. That's the process. The person of our access is God the Father. The process of our access is through Jesus the Son. He removed the barrier. The, the veil was rent in two, and he reconciled us to the Father as he ever lives to make intercession. He introduces us into the presence of God. I only have a moment. Let me do it real quick. The last point. The person, the process, and I want you to notice the power of our access. If all of this is true, how does it work? If Jesus died to prepare the way, to break the barrier, to introduce me, if the Father is waiting for me to come into his presence, then where's the dynamic? Where's the power? Where's the energy that brings it all together? Verse 18 says... For through him we both have our access in one spirit. Spirit is capitalized, speaking of the Holy Spirit. We have access to the Father through Jesus in the Holy Spirit. He is the, the dynamic or the power, if you will, that brings it all together. He's the one that energizes the whole thing. Very quickly, let me say a couple of things. That preposition, in, there, we've talked about to, face-to-face, -face, through, he's the channel, and now in, the Holy Spirit, in the Spirit, there are a couple of things that that preposition can mean. Let me give you just a couple of them. First of all, it can mean by the means of. By means of the Holy Spirit to the Father. We have our access through Him by means of the Holy Spirit to the Father. How does it happen? It's by the Holy Spirit. He gives me, if you will, the desire to enter into the presence of the Father. Have you ever been doing something uh, washing dishes or something, shake your heads no, don't do that. Uh, dishwashers, huh? Your husband. Uh, 
you've been driving in your car or just sitting in, in, in your home. And all of a sudden, this desire comes over you to pray or to read the word of God or just to commune with the Father. What is that? That is the Holy Spirit that draws us, that gives us the desire to come into the, into the presence of the Father. As a matter of fact, you could not be saved if it were not for the Holy Spirit drawing you and calling you in the first place. He calls you initially to come to Jesus in saving faith, and he calls you continually to enter into and to exercise the privilege of access that we have to the Father. We have our access through Jesus to the Father, but it is in the Spirit. He's the one that provides the energy, the dynamic to put it all together. You see, Moses had a burning bush. Moses was going along keeping the sheep on the hillside there, and God wanted to speak to Moses, and so he spoke through a burning bush. Moses had a burning bush that caught his attention and drew him aside, but the Scripture says we have a burning bush living within us, the Holy Spirit, that grabs our attention and draws us into the presence of the Father. When God wants to do something to you, through you, in you, or for you, he'll do it through the Spirit of God, drawing you into that place. So we have our access in the Spirit by means of, he, he draws us, he gives us that desire. But second of all, and I'm skipping a lot, it mean, could mean in communion with, in the Spirit, in communion with the Spirit. Not only by means of, but in communion with the Spirit. If Jesus died to give us access, and he ever lives to guarantee that access, he ever lives to guarantee that that way will never be closed, and if the Father is waiting for us to enter into his presence, then the Holy Spirit is available to give us the desire and the dynamic to bring us. And he does it as we are in communion with him. As I order my life, in other words, under his control, as I yield my life to his leadership, as there is no sin that is grieving him, there is no rebellion that is quenching him in my life, I am yielded to his way and his will for my life, then I am living in communion with the Spirit. And he draws me, and he's constantly drawing me into the presence of the Father in every action of life. You see, that's why the Christian life is not just a one-day-a-week process. It's not just on Sunday or for some of us that are really fireballs on Wednesday. <laughs> you know, it's not just a couple of days a week. But the Christian life is that moment-by-moment, second-by-second process of walking with the Father in his presence. It is living in communion with the Spirit of God, coming into the presence of the Father in every action of life. That's why Paul said, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God, whether you eat, whether you drink. Whatever you do, he says, do it to the glory of God. That means that as I am living with my life ordered according to his way, there is no sin that is grieving him. There is no rebellion that is quenching the Spirit in my life. Then if I study biology, I do it to the glory of God and it's worship. If I am writing a memo at work, if I'm living in communion with the Spirit of God, then that is worship. It's done to the glory of God. If I'm just driving down the street, daydreaming, if I'm doing it in the Spirit and in communion with no sin quenching, no rebellion that is grieving the Spirit of God, then it's worship. I'm in the presence of the Father. You see, everything that we do is to be done in that spirit and that attitude of worship as we live in the communion with the Spirit of God. It's because of that that the Hebrew writer says this, Hebrews 4, verse 16, Let us, therefore, come boldly before the throne of grace. Why can I come boldly before the throne of grace? Not because of who I am, 
but because of who he is. He is my introducer. He introduces me to the Father. And his spirit that now dwells within me draws me into the presence of the Father. He gives me the desire to pray. He gives me the desire to walk in daily communion, to live in that fellowship with him. The person of our access is the Father. Think of that. The King. I'm introduced to the King. Not anybody here that wouldn't jump at the chance to be introduced to a King. Let me tell you, in Jesus Christ, we are introduced to the King. He's the person of our access, the King of glory. The process is through Jesus. He removed the barrier. He reconciled us to the Father. And the power is in the Holy Spirit. He draws us unto the Father as we walk and we live in communion with Him. Are you in communion with the Father today? Are you in the presence of God today? Have you ever been introduced? Has Jesus ever taken you by the hand and said, Father, let me introduce you to a new child, to a new friend? Let me introduce you, Father. This one trusted me today. Has that ever happened to you? If it hasn't, it can today. The Spirit of God would love to draw you today. And that tugging in your heart that you may be even experiencing now, let me tell you what it is. This is the Spirit of the living God that is drawing you, drawing you. God has chosen you. He calls you unto himself. And Jesus is waiting to take you by the hand and introduce you to the Father. You can be saved today, in other words. You can be born again today. We invite you to come, to trust Jesus today, to respond to that drawing, that wooing that is in your heart today, to respond to that, to be faithful to it. Don't turn it aside. The scripture says today is the day of salvation. When the Father calls, that's the time to come. Maybe there's a Christian here today that the Spirit of God is just drawing you into this place. You sense a warmth. You sense a, a home in this place of worship. That's the Spirit of God telling you, this is where you need to make your life. You need to serve me in this place. And we invite you to come today to be a part of our fellowship here as we reach out to this community for Jesus Christ. Maybe there's a Christian today that just needs to get something right with God. There's something grieving the Spirit. There's something quenching the Spirit in your life. Right where you are, you pray. You lift it up to the Father and get it right. Let's pray together. Lord, this is your time. We invite you into this place. We confess before you. We agree with you, Father, that you are here, that you are here in power, you are here in authority. We thank you for the access that we have to you in Jesus Christ. I pray this morning for that lost one that needs to trust you, that today that they'll be introduced to you through Jesus by the drawing and the wooing of the Spirit of the living God. Lord, have your way. In this time, it's your invitation. We lift it up to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. Turn to hymn number 375. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Is